0: Hello and welcome to Yesterladies. I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And Heather, you picked the topic so you get to say this time. I make you say most of the time but I'm really (laughs) going to make you say this time. What are we talking about today? This time. Who are we talking about today? Well,
1: the woman we are talking about today is the very well-known but also extremely interesting Amelia Earhart. Yay! She's very mysterious as well we should say. Yes. There's a lot of information we found out while researching this that we didn't know about her. So Mm -hmm. if you think, you know, sort of the nutshell story of Amelia Earhart, we hope you do know some facts, but we hope we can still,
0: you can learn a lot from what we're about to discuss. Absolutely. And um, right off the top here, I want to say that this is a audience suggestion Uh uh, from another friend. I love like our audience who are suggesting (laughs) things are still like our our friends. (laughs) friends. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, someday maybe we'll get to the point where strangers (laughs) are giving us suggestions. Um, but my friend Dino suggested this one. I thought it was a good one. And I actually, when I went to put it on the list, I, I thought surely we had had her on there before, but I don't believe we had surprisingly. Ooh, excellent. So Yeah. Even the well-known ladies. We've got so many ladies on our list. It's true. It's true. That and sometimes we prefer them.
1: to focus on lesser-known yes. ladies, which I think maybe is why we had skipped her because we figured, ah, Amelia Earhart, you know, everyone I feel heard like, her, though, if I had
0: thought of but, her, I would have put her on the list. I,
1: right. And I'm glad, I'm so glad that Dino suggested her yeah. because now we got to dig deeper into her story. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Or fly higher oh into God. her story. <laughs> <laughs> And then crash deeper and into crash, her, crash, sorry. and we'll end in a giant mystery. Oh boy! We'll it be is a giant mystery. For the next yes. century. Yes, if you're lo- if you're looking for suspense, you have found it in this episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so we're just gonna dive right in here. Uh, Amelia Earhart was born uh, July twenty fourth, eighteen ninety seven. So right at the cusp of the new century. And she is like such a 20th century mm-hmm. woman, you very know? much so. Yeah. I love that so much. And she's very much a, like, that's the other thing I really liked about her. I mean, yeah, like, all the stuff to do with her death and the crash and all of that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's a big mystery. But I really enjoyed learning about what kind of a person she was and how she really did, like, want to be a model for independent right. women. Yes.
1: Like, very consciously. She very mm-hmm. consciously acted and, and, you know, strove to be this role model and strove to be really strong and independent and self-sufficient. And even when, um, you know, they were describing her different talents and, and her aims and that, they said, even if she couldn't, she would try something and wasn't super good at it, she would still, like, hope to open that field up to women or encourage other women to get into it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, she was she was such a great, strong feminist figure. And she I was. heard that more and more as I read about her.
0: The other side of her coin though i found very interesting there's this really great i don't know if you read it but there's mm. this great new yorker article um the missing woman did you read this one no okay um and it's interesting because it takes a slightly more um what was it critical like it's not critical of mm. her it's just a kind of a more realistic because she is like she's like looked on as this like iconic right heroine you know daring adventurous like you know, um, and the writer kind of was like, "No, she's a real woman, and like <sighs> here's some of so like she was kind of ambitious to a fault and and not that this is necessarily bad, mm. any of these things are necessarily bad, but she was also very conscious of her image and like very much aware, and like she was kind of i mean it was partly that she was managed and promoted, but she was like sure. an active participant in that and you know she was always being compared to um Lindbergh, mm, right. and whereas he apparently genuinely was like shy hated the limelight and was like he hated that. <laughs> She well, she may have been painted sometimes as like, oh, you know, down to earth, whatever. She like, no, she didn't hate the limelight. She <laughs> sought it out and like, she she lectured everywhere and like, she you know did all of this stuff. And
1: I was gonna say she was on fairly extensive speaking tours, yes, and such, especially organized through her publisher. And yeah. we'll get into that, but all of her own free will and um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, just
0: the, this the um, this New York article made the point that she was um, she was very kind of media savvy and very. Mm-hmm image conscious and she was definitely curating her her image right in the public eye um which again there's not necessarily anything wrong with that but i i did like that this new yorker was like okay here's this real woman and like you know what was she kind of doing and you know not just venerating her as some kind of Mm -hmm. you know saint of the air so uh as i said um amelia Earhart was born in 1897 in kansas in atchison to her parents, Amy Otis and Edwin Stanton Earhart. Uh, She had a sister, Muriel, who was born two years later. Um, And then as it turned out throughout her childhood, she ended up living mostly with her maternal grandparents in Kansas, um, in Atchison. And then I guess she would spend the summers with her parents in Kansas City um and I, from what Kai was kind of reading it sounds like her parents her dad in particular had he had a drinking problem and you know they had trouble kind of getting things together and um it sounds like they like her mom was fairly upper class and her family was fairly disapproving when she married this guy who wasn't as upper class i guess <laughs> as, as she was and he was they were kind of spendthrifts and they they like you know, her family kind of provided for them, and then they like ripped through that money. And <laughs> I guess this is the kind of thing. And I guess this was the thing that like Amelia, like later in her life, um, before she disappeared, um, she was supporting her mother. And I guess in letters, like you know, with like ch- sending checks or whatever to her mom, she was rather kind of kind of uh, imperious and condescending about Aww. about doing this, um, which I, you know. It, probably she was out of patience with sure this kind of behavior if and... you've been doing it for decades it yeah get old. yeah
1: yeah yeah especially if they're not spending it responsibly and you're still supporting them <laughs> that, yeah i would get old fast I understand so. her, yeah her,
0: her frustration i yes. guess but uh
1: <laughs> i read that her father seemed promising but they never really lived up to his yeah his their expectations yeah. of him partly because of his alcoholism and And her parents spent a lot of time separated. So they they separated and got back together and separated. And this went on for for a long time
0: until their eventual divorce. So, yeah, it was sort of a a fragmented childhood. And she moved around Mm -hmm. quite a bit and... Yeah. And, yeah, as we say, she spent a lot of time with her grandparents, mm-hmm. um, who apparently disapproved, Her grandmother at least, uh, disapproved of Amelia's habit of um, roaming around outdoors, uh, <laughs> riding imaginary horses, <laughs> 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 climbing trees, sledding, and hunting, and I guess this was rather tomboyish behavior that was not approved by her grandmother well i especially like that she hunted rats with yeah. a 0.22 rifle i know that her dinner her, and her dad like yeah kudos to him because he, right. like, he he often gave her gifts right that right. were kind of more at the time considered more appropriate for boys right. things like baseball gloves and bats and yeah um, yeah a yeah. 22 caliber rifle for shooting rats <laughs> It
1: just struck me as like, oh, hunting rats. Yeah, I, I guess you can hunt rats. I guess <laughs> it struck me as funny. I expected like hunting rabbits or squirrels.
0: I was like, rats or rats. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to hunt something, <laughs> they're probably everywhere. Frankly, right? yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I guess I'm a little more okay with hunting rats it's than true. anything else. I also have that
1: she kept a scrapbook of newspaper clippings. Of women who were in non-traditional careers, so. I liked that yeah. too. That was
0: a nice little detail. Yeah. I
1: thought it was like her
0: her own little yesterladies uh, collection. <laughs> I know. I kind of thought that too. Like, oh yeah, I was like, you're just like us, Amelia, <laughs> or we're just like you. Yeah, makes a little more sense. Yes. <laughs> um, so by 1908, uh, this was the first time she sees an airplane, and this is at the Iowa State Fair. And she later recalled being unimpressed. And she said that it was a thing of rusty wire and wood and looked not at all interesting. (laughs) So it wasn't until kind of a decade later at a stunt flying exhibition that her passion for flight Mm -hmm. kind of really took off. Oh. <laughs> which is a nice little The aviation puns are gonna come thick and fast. I think they might,
1: episode. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well when you said at the beginning dive in, I was gonna be like nose dive in.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so um in the period kind of nineteen ten to nineteen fifteen, so this would kind of be her teenage years. Uh unfortunately these were more difficult years. Um, Her grandmother, who had mostly raised her, died in 1911. Her dad, as we said, was struggling with alcoholism, and he kept losing jobs. Um, Apparently, at one point, he checked into a sanatorium to rehabilitate himself. Uh, They ended up moving to St. Paul, Minnesota in 1913, and when her dad is like, he just can't recover and find a job, um, this is when, I guess her mother left her father and moved um, Amelia and Muriel, her sister, to Chicago. Um, so, yeah, kind of a um, a little bit of a difficult childhood there. Mm-hmm. Just moving around. lots well, of instability. Yeah, yeah, instability for sure. One of the
1: articles I read talked about how because the family couldn't rely on her father, she they were speculating that she learned this sense of self-dependence um, because she couldn't rely on her father. Um, mm-hmm. And so she... I don't know. She could have stepped into the man of the house role, or 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 more just learn to rely on herself and and not look to to men to make things happen for her that kind of thing. So you
0: know, well, and I mean, as we mentioned, she did end up going on to support her mother, right? Um, yeah. so yeah, yeah. there's something to that. I Maybe think some truth to it. Yeah, learning to step up. I'm thinking now about many of the other yester ladies we've
1: covered, and a lot of them seem to have really difficult childhoods, and a lot mm. of them come out of tough situations. So I think there's some some stamina being uh yeah being brand character development. yes
0: definitely not that you can't have a strong independent character <laughs> if you come from a good household loving happy we family we're not advocating fractured <laughs> difficult childhoods at all i mean it's like more not. often you know <laughs> why why make life harder for no. her that's awful anyway
1: <laughs> but as a word of encouragement you know if you yeah not that your you can't current childhood, childhood, childhood is very rough or if you came out of a rough childhood <laughs> you're in good company with a lot of these ladies awesome i
0: like that <laughs> so um so over the next several years she graduated uh, high school in Chicago in 1916 and she kind of um she never really ended up getting a degree even though apparently that was one of the things she liked to lecture young women about uh which i kind of thought again this new yorker article like they kind of made a stink about that a little bit that i was like <laughs> oh, okay but there's nothing wrong just because she didn't get a degree there's nothing wrong sure. about her like She's saying talking
1: about the benefits
0: of education yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in some
1: some perhaps you could think of it as it's even more important coming important coming from her because yeah. she didn't get it right you know the, person who's telling well, you who was a drug addict telling you not to do drugs maybe has a more credible opinion yeah. on that than,
0: right so well I don't know if it's uh, I don't know it, it's just it's an interest I really liked this New York article it was mm. really interesting and and really well written um but uh yeah that one little thing I was kind of like okay like lay off of her she's allowed to <laughs> recommend that people go get a a degree even though she doesn't have one but I think right. the point the author was kind of making was that she did have a tendency to kind of like she would try one thing for a while and be like, I'm going to do this Mm. and then like not follow through. And so she kind of had a tendency to move from one thing to another, but you know, maybe that was just before she found her, her real passion, which was sure flight. Mm -hmm. Um, But she did excel in science um, and uh, uh, really loved that subject in school. Um, I guess she did though, have trouble socially in high school. She had trouble making friends and apparently her yearbook caption and I don't know if, I hope this is something she wrote. I hope nobody else wrote this about her because it's, I mean, it's a little poetic, but her yearbook caption read, A.E., the girl in brown who walks alone. Aww. I know. Here, <laughs> I hope she wrote that about herself. <laughs> so
1: too. Even if she did write it about herself, it's a little melancholy. No <laughs> sad.
0: Yeah. Aww. But apparently she got over her kind of inability to make friends and influence people um she ended up going to the angst school <laughs> did you like how i said that yes angst
1: school i was pronouncing it Ogonst. Ogonst. O-Gonst. really it's just this terrible school O-Gonst. name i've never heard of this
0: angst angst <laughs> where she didn't have much angst <laughs> because okay. Maybe she had a lot of angst <laughs> she had in high school but this is in her finishing it's an exclusive okay. finishing school which is so funny. funny um outside of philadelphia and she excelled in her studies and became the vice president of her class nice. um however she didn't graduate and at that point she chose i mean this is kind of like right before world war one um, she chose to go to Toronto, which mm-hmm. I thought was cool, to the Spadina Military Hospital, and she was a nurse for wounded uh, World War I soldiers. And it was in this period, I was like, okay, this is awesome. I love the Canadian connection <sighs> yes, because me too. it was in Toronto that she attended a flying exposition. And um, kind of, I think this is the first time her passion for flying really got <laughs> ignited, which I really love. And apparently, um, A a stunt pilot dove at Amelia and a friend of hers, and she had this great quote. I am sure he said to himself, watch me make them scamper. (laughs) But she stood her ground, and uh, she later talked about it as a personal awakening. And I didn't understand it at the time, but I believe that little red airplane said something to me as it swished by. (laughs) She had some great quotes. Yeah, she did. She's so quotable. She is. Yeah. I love that too. And when I saw Toronto
1: in there and like the Spadina military aspect, well. I mean, Spadina is a huge name in Toronto. And I was mm. like, yes, we made, we made a whole the bunch Canadian of like important, you know, sort of seminal ear like history here. It was, yeah, I know. It was it's wonderful. like in Toronto, yeah. that's right. right.
0: Not, to, I'm I'm sure it, her passion for aviation would have been awakened elsewhere. Just but. about anywhere.
1: Right. But it's so, it so exciting in that it happened here. Yeah. And her sister Muriel <laughs> lived in the city, which is why she traveled oh, okay. to Toronto I didn't uh, yeah, when she was 21 to visit. Muriel, and then ended up staying and taking on this nursing role, like you said. And they said that when she was nursing the soldiers, um, she really enjoyed interacting with the aviators, and would talk to them about their jobs. And then she would go to the nearby airfield and watch them do flight training and maneuvers. And it was a royal flying corps, uh, or sorry, royal, corps. royal flying corps. <laughs> <Corpse. Whoa>. Heather, <laughs> oh dear, um, uh, training field, and uh, so she would watch them at work there, and you know, so get a feel for the the field that's all <laughs> sorry go.
0: <laughs> that's
1: gonna come up again
0: i'm sure i'm gonna be teasing with that for you might. A while. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh apparently this um experience nursing had an influence on her because she ended up uh in the fall of 1919 she enrolled at the pre-med program at columbia university uh, but this didn't this didn't take and after a year she decided to leave um, and she moved back to live with her parents who I guess had reunited by this point and were in Los Angeles Um, so 1920 we're at here and this was the year um, she went to an air show uh, in Long Beach with her dad and this was the first time she had a ride in an airplane and she said by the time I had got two or three hundred feet off the ground I knew I had to fly (laughs) which is pretty cool i <laughs> yeah, love that
1: i also wanted to point out that her entering columbia as a pre-med student is pretty gutsy at this time yeah but actually pre-1920 so for her to just be striving to be a doctor is also breaking boundaries right she, she wasn't the
0: first woman to do it and she's not you know but no. yeah that's no. a very good point well it yeah. just speaks to her she she just keeps going into yeah. these non-traditionally female dominated fields she had like, no interest yeah, in in break being... boundaries a traditional woman. Right. Which like right. that keeps coming up throughout yes. her life. Like she was actively looking to not be a traditional yes. woman. Yeah. Which yeah. uh is pretty cool yeah. and very progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had her first flying lesson in 1921 on January 3rd, apparently, with a woman named Netta Snook, which is a great name. And I love that she took flying lessons from another, from woman. another woman. I'm I know. assuming that
1: Netta is. It a- was. Her first yeah. name was Anita. So it was oh, Anita okay. Snooks, but they called her Netta Snook. Yeah. That's so <laughs> which <is> cute. Amazing. <laughs> That's
0: amazing. So apparently, during this period, um, she, I mean, flying lessons had to have been expensive, right? Yes. So she was working as a truck driver, a photographer, a stenographer, uh, all to pay for these lessons and to save up money to buy her first airplane, which was a Kinner Airster biplane. And it was yellow and she called it the Canary. And I love that. (laughs) I knew
1: you would love
0: that. (laughs) I love that. If I bought a plane, it would totally be yellow. Canary.
1: Yes. (laughs) As soon as I read bright yellow, I was like dana is gonna love this (laughs) i I loved it too and i have a few details i don't know if you had these about during her uh flying lessons how she sort of transformed herself no consciously into an aviatrix um so while under the tutelage of netta snook um um amelia purposely read everything she could find on flying so everything she could get her hands on on the subject she read uh she spent almost all of her spare time at the airfield when she wasn't working to afford the lessons cropped her hair short. this yeah. is when she she gets her signature hair. look and she got herself a leather flying jacket which was pretty much required at the time but she was really nervous that the other Um, pilots would know that she was inexperienced because it was brand new so she slept in it three nights in a row to give it like a worn crumpled look that's awesome (laughs) yeah it was
0: great that's a nice detail (laughs) she's really
1: trying hard to fit
0: in and be like one of the pilots (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool
1: and it only took her six months from her first flying lesson to purchasing her plane so she was yeah like
0: got in there and hit hard and knew what she wanted and just dove right in (laughs) yeah that's pretty cool Um, so by 1921, again, yeah, it didn't really take her long. It took her about a year to, um, get her flying license. So she passed her flying license test given by the National Aeronautic Association and two days later, she flew in the Pacific Coast Ladies Derby in Pasadena. Can I just say that I love these flying races, They're called
1: derbies? I, know I get that awesome. term
0: kept coming up again and again.
1: Derby. Uh, she was also the 16th woman to earn a pilots pilots license. Oh, so there you pretty go. Pretty good. Only 15 ladies before her.
0: Uh, by the oh, by the Fédération Aéronautique Internationale. Right. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I
1: I had read that it was French, and I was like.
0: Where's that French accent?
1: <laughs> Glad that I got put in.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. Right. So oddly enough, you'd think like, okay, so she's got the bug and she's mm-hmm. gonna keep going and this is the like for the rest of her. Blaze into life. glory she's now. On the the glory. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um but in by nineteen twenty-four, she kind of takes a break, I guess, from flying for several years. Um, So her parents split up again. They divorced, I guess, officially this time. And her mom and Amelia drove together from California to Massachusetts. So during this period, um, they're in Massachusetts. So Amelia decides to re-enroll at Columbia. Um, But I guess, again, that didn't last long. (laughs) And she moved back to Boston where she worked as a teacher and then as a social worker at uh, a place called denison house teaching english to syrian and chinese immigrants Mm. which is pretty cool and she did that for several years and um i don't know it's like this alternate like what if she had never got back into flying and she was just you know yeah lived out her days as a social worker in boston
1: yeah massachusetts nothing wrong with that either no no, there's not (laughs) (laughs) and in the reading that i did it made it um they mentioned that she had to drop out of columbia both times for financial reasons mm. because the, the family didn't have the money to support um, mm. medical education. So, wow. Yeah, a, a, another what if, right? Yeah. If the robust scholarship program of today's medical schools had existed, perhaps, you know, she could have been a doctor and breaking all kinds of
0: gender boundaries in medicine, so. There you go. I don't know. You never know. It's a very good so, point. Uh, <laughs> um so by 1927, she was kind of back into aviation. Um I guess the quiet life as a Boston social worker wasn't quite enough for her. Uh, so she joined the Boston chapter of the National Aeronautic Association and it was occasionally featured in newspapers as an advocate for aviation and female pilots, which I like that very much. Um, and then in 1928, this is when she like took off do you want to talk about the flight of the friendship <laughs> <laughs> it was literally her call to fame yeah she was
1: at work got a call and was like no i'm too busy and they were like it's important so she takes the call and the call was from um, a publicist and a publisher named george p putnam and he proposed to her on the phone propo- not marriage he proposed well uh, um... well later <laughs> spoiler but he proposed this idea and he basically just said how would you like to be the first woman to fly the atlantic and she goes yes (laughs) no doubt in her mind um so he he pitches this idea that she and a crew um
0: take a transatlantic flight and that she'd be the first woman to do this although we should point out that she didn't fly herself correct she was a passenger
1: i was a bit confused about this because a lot of the records keep stating that you know the first woman to fly the atlantic and so i thought she had flown and then they kept talking about the crew and the pilot and i and i was like well wasn't she the pilot? And so later I finally sorted it all out. So for listeners, if you're seeing these records out there, it's almost misleading the way it's phrased. So she didn't actually fly and they had quotes from her During that flight, where she describes feeling like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. (laughs) She didn't actually fly the plane, but she was just, I was just baggage. Yeah. Yeah. They just brought her along as a passenger. So, what happened was she was partnered by Putnam with this crew. Um, And so they had a pilot, Bill, Wilmer, Bill Schultz, and co pilot and mechanic. Louis slim gordon (laughs) so so she's with bill and slim and uh the the team takes off so on june 17th of 28 they leave trepasi harbor newfoundland in a fokker f7 named (laughs) the friendship which is so sweet. I know, that's nice. <laughs> it's like adorable yeah. for a plane. Um and they arrive at Bury Wales um approximately 21 hours later. So they make a successful transatlantic crossing.
0: Um but Amelia doesn't do or, no. any of the flying. Well, I so. think the sign- I mean like she was the first woman to Yeah, she was the first woman to cross, to be, correct. Yeah. you know, uh, yes. to, transported to this point. across. Yeah, America. exactly. <laughs> Atlantic. Yeah. Um and then I guess at the time she did say uh maybe someday I'll try it alone. Right. Yeah, it's
1: like da 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 <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. Um And they mentioned that the the flight was considered too dangerous for a woman to right to d- complete on her own so they just had her on as a passenger basically and uh they were met with great acclaim when this this feat was accomplished uh, so she made headlines and partly this was because three other female pilots had died the same year trying the same crossing mm. which i'm sure contributed to the fact that they put a man in the in the captains or pilot seat but um so the crew got back to north america they were met with a ticker tape parade in new york a reception at the white house by <laughs> president coolidge and uh, despite feeling like a sack of potatoes um, she, her role was still celebrated um, and uh, she ended up publishing a book about the flight named 20 hours 40 minutes and this kind of really triggered that was the event that triggered her celebrity yeah yeah. her international celebrity and her sort of mission to promote aviation although she was already actively working in it this gave
0: her a huge platform and a a voice and she became recognizable she was a household name Absolutely, she was on this national book tour, and she ended up endorsing some products, including <laughs> Lucky Strike cigarettes. Oh boy! That's and very Mad Men. M- yeah, it is. <laughs> and Modern Air, spelled with an E. Modern Air. Earhart <laughs> <Air> luggage. <laughs> and she became known as Lady Lindy because of her resemblance to uh, Charles Lindbergh. Lindbergh that's wonderful. But she—it's funny. You look at pictures, and you're like, "Yeah, no, she does kind I of look didn't like know him." That. Oh, oh that's yeah, that's great. Like you have to look at pictures of yes. the two of them, and you're okay. like, "Yeah, no, she." kind of looks like him. <laughs>
1: wonderful uh, i
0: thought it was just the flying uh, <laughs> comparison i mean, that would have been enough but she actually <laughs> right. really does kind of look like it that's awesome uh and also this time this time period i really like that she became the aviation editor for cosmopolitan magazine I Love that too. do they still have an aviation <laughs> editor <laughs> i would actually
1: like to point out and i'm so excited that i i learned this separately but i was listening to an audiobook about these world um globe travelers um mm. and we'll get you know that's like a future For uh, podcast. Sure, yeah. but the cosmopolitan magazine used to be uh quite different than it is mm. today so now we know it as a young women's magazine very focused on fashion and sex and yeah. you know these topics <laughs> um, but but back in the day in the early 1900s it was much more um sort of a standard newspaper or a standard magazine covering all news topics and uh, you know, adventure and travel and that's, like world news and this sort of thing. That's so
0: way better. <laughs> yeah, it, it
1: really is. And the the Cosmopolitan sponsored one of the. There was a race between two women around the world, oh. and they sponsored one of the the female competitors. Oh yeah, she was telling so, you this. Yeah. Right. They they had I think a little more progressive view <laughs> on women's activities back then, which seems odd. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I
0: wonder at what point uh, yes, that would be an interesting episode. I, actually, now to see the having, history of
1: Cosmopolitan. Yes. Now having learned all of this, I I kind of want to delve into that. So, we should put that on the list. I'm well, like, we're coming up with our own ideas live. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you heard it, heard it here first. You heard folks. it here. So, the Cosmopolitan at this time, when she would have been the aviation editor, would have been the kind of magazine that had an aviation That's editor cool. and would put a woman Man. in that position. So, yeah, Man. I feel like they. I don't want to, you know, no, I'm Cosmopolitan, mean, I, but yeah, I feel if you like, read
0: Cosmo, like no shade at all. We're not, judging. All. Like, we're you not enjoy judging. Cosmo, um, but I feel like
1: you know they kind of went downhill from maybe what we would have yeah. preferred to read. So yeah. if they were following really hip female aviators today i would
0: think more that kind of them of like women's magazines in general would be an interesting topic because it, it would very much i don't know there it, it is kind of a i don't know like a pink ghetto i yes. guess yes. they like stuff like women's magazines and what you know everybody refers to as chick lit and mm. like rom-coms yeah all the kind of like yeah. well these aren't you know because they're they're made primarily for women they're like fluff they're not brainless yeah right they're not heavy hitters and like books that are written you know by and about young women with romantic like obviously they're not they're not going to be awarded winners this is a digression i'm sorry it shouldn't be
1: obvious but yeah and i mean it's
0: i don't know it's part i don't know might be partly a self-fulfilling thing especially with the magazines because they do i mean yeah you're at the grocery store and you're like okay (laughs) (laughs) And there's obviously an audience for that because oh for sure again there's there's nothing wrong with that but it just seems like they're all yes like that like all of the women all of the magazines aimed at women are rather serious typical right. i would say i
1: get the sense that cosmopolitan earlier on in its life wasn't primarily a women's magazine oh. and so i think it was like the new yorker in the there sense that it was just for everyone and i think that shift came as its audience changed or they changed it to hmm. female audience, okay we, which is we disappointing totally, and we we really need to investigate we this. have to do yeah. we can't talk anymore about Cosmo kay. because we have to do an episode <laughs> on <cut> off. <laughs> yes, i'm but. sorry that
0: was such a digression I'm sorry
1: but i love that she your heart is dipping into you know literary life yeah. as well right she's editing magazine articles and this sort of things. So yeah it's pretty cool yeah.
0: she's a little bit of a renaissance woman yeah, we'll doing all writing. sorts of different things um so i'm gonna jump ahead a little bit um mm-hmm. to um 1931 when in february remember that guy george putnam he gave her a call he gave asked, her a call wanna fly across the atlantic yeah at another point he gave her another call and was like hey <laughs> i propose that we marry. <laughs> um so apparently he made this call like six times before yes. she said yes he repeatedly proposed. She was that one of the sources we were looking at said she was wary of the institution <laughs> of marriage. I don't blame her. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame yeah, especially at the time. Um so she finally agreed but said She wanted to emphasize that the marriage had to be a partnership Mm. with dual control. Yes. And apparently on the day of their wedding, she gave him this letter. um, And there's just a little excerpt here that I'm going to read for you. Uh, You must know again my reluctance to marry. My feeling that I shatter thereby chances in work, which means so much to me. In our life together, I shall not hold you to any medieval code of faithfulness to me, nor shall I consider myself bound to you similarly. All right. I may have to keep some place where I can go to be myself now and then, for I cannot guarantee to endure at all the confinements of even an attractive cage. So she like he knew what he was getting into and mm. she which I like that she was like yeah. cards on the table. Yeah, yeah I'll marry yeah. you. I do right. I'm fond of you, George. <laughs> George. But um this is how it is and yeah. you know, I might have dalliances and like you go ahead and have dalliances too, but <laughs> this is the it. way it is. Get nice open marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um there, there has been speculation over the years and there's like no proof one way or the other about this, but um there has been speculation that she might have been bisexual and had um some relationships with other women. Um we do know that she did have a lover a male lover um during the period of her of her marriage or I guess from this point in, until the day she disappeared um but uh yeah people have speculated and i don't know if that's more based on her you know deliberate kind of androgynous look mm, or right. there was any actual um evidence of relationships with women but she may have been bisexual which you know, cool either way. So,
1: with George in her life as now her husband and publisher and publicist, mm-hmm. um, he really got involved in a lot of um, organizing public appearances. They started planning her flights together, so they became like these huge sort of promotional, almost like stunt flights. Um, yeah, but they were also record breakers at the same time. So the two of them really kind of worked together to launch these activities, um. You already mentioned that they had endorsed a line of flight luggage, mm-hmm. and she also got into clothing design. I liked <laughs> which, that which I very love. much. And it's really exciting because she had a connection with a group called the 99s. So they were the International Organization of Women Pilots, and she became their first president in 1930. And she also designed their
0: flight outfits.
1: So they had. Can like- I? Can I? You I, want like a yeah. description? <laughs>
0: I love it. She designed a her first creation. It was a flying suit with loose trousers, a zipper top and big pockets. And Vogue advertised it with a two-page photo spread. Um and then I guess she she also began designing like like day wear, like regular yes. clothes yeah. uh for for the woman who lives actively actively I love that like women's active wear I really yeah. love it and I mean she was no. this was like totally the period for like Coco Chanel as well which right. was like much more like um elegant n- not traditionally feminine right Just more masculine lines you know. yeah yeah and, yeah uh so this to- like the androgynous kind of look was totally in in that period and like the flappers and like deemphasizing large breasts and cutting their hair real short and, like, all Throwing this. Throwing off the
1: corset. And, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, she even had exclusive lines sold only in the best stores in a city. So Macy's in New York would carry it and Marshall Fields in Chicago would carry it. So she had this sort of, like, she dabbled in fashion design as well. <laughs> you know, why not?
0: <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Um, and I think George was behind a lot of these enterprises or, mm-hmm. or at least, you know, sort of bringing up these Well, and again, like,
0: it's all it's you know a carefully calculated image right and like absolutely they're and they're putting her up there as this heroine and elegant and woman about the world right? kind of yes. <laughs> image
1: yes absolutely um but one of the other really positive things about these endorsements is that she gained a lot of credibility with the public so when she mm-hmm. might have started out as kind of this like yahoo woman you know breaking a few records in her little plane um she gained a
0: lot well and, like go ahead yeah so and just business, like was seen as respectable yes and um a role model like Mm -hmm. really you Mm -hmm. know a lot of little girls really looked up to her she wasn't seen as some kind of flying harlot um (laughs) threatening she was threatening traditional masculinity
1: yeah which is surprising yeah it's an interesting line that she walked right yeah um yeah. yeah so i it's neat that she was able to take all these branded products and not only make a profit off of it but also sort of worm her way into the public's affections and you know it's it, it's a really sophisticated manipulation of her of her image it and is, her business. So, yeah. So I mean kudos to her as a businesswoman as well as Everything else—it's pretty cool. Yeah. So um, I have heard that she was also a representative for Transcontinental Air Transport, which later became Trans World Airlines (TWA). Oh, okay. So she was a TWA rep, and she was the VP of National Airways, which huh. did some—some some, uh, I think like Northwest flying uh, or Northeast flying. So they were like domestic airlines. Wow, she kind of yeah. had a finger in. <laughs> she like, was doing everything, everything I mean, tangentially related yeah, to, right, aviation. To, to aviation, <laughs> like at all possible. The clothing for it, the luggage <laughs> for it, the business for it, writing the, the up about it, it also
0: flying on her own yeah, yeah. it's like, it like everything yeah speaking of which of course the you know the main thing that she's known the for actual the actual flying. Yep. in uh, may of 1932 may 20th and 21st um she became the first woman to fly solo across the atlantic mm-hmm. and again she departed from newfoundland and uh landed in a pasture in northern ireland <laughs> and uh it earned her the distinguished flying cross from Congress, the Cross of Knight of the Legion of Honor from the French <laughs> government, and the Gold Medal of the National Geographic Society from President Hoover. Uh, and she was the first woman to ever achieve that award, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I guess at the site of her landing in Ireland now, there's a museum there. Nice. The Amelia Earhart Center. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I, uh, I feel like that really vindicates her. her- prior sack of potatoes yeah. experience yeah. you know when you fly it solo like there's no question you've done it yourself and did you hear dana about how that was kind of bungled and like it didn't go how she wanted and there yeah was some yeah crazy yeah. Circumstances? yeah so she didn't intentionally uh, or she didn't originally intend to land in ireland uh the goal was to go to paris um the way that Lindbergh had and this was five years to the day after Lindbergh Lindbergh had made his original flight um his transatlantic so she took off planning the same route, but there were strong winds, icy conditions, and mechanical troubles. So she had to force an emergency landing. So she landed in a pasture outside of Londonderry, Ireland. And her, the quote that I have from her is, after scaring most of the cows in the neighborhood, I pulled up in a farmer's backyard. And I guess she drew a crowd. It was like, Irish farmers. And this, like, you know, woman has just landed and crashed, landed her plane. Well, not crashed, but landed her plane rather roughly in her field. I just think that's awesome. so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool <laughs> you know but it, but again it it proves her ability to act under pressure mm-hmm. and make sure. you know emergency decisions so no,
0: again one other thing i'm gonna this new yorker article which the more i'm like <laughs> saying about it, it really sounds like it's super critical oh, of boy. amelia Earhart, but it, it wasn't really but, right um i guess people who have who have like biographers people who have researched her and maybe people even at the time um she wasn't apparently like necessarily the best pilot out there like right. obviously yes. she was she was decent enough to like be the first woman <laughs> yes. to fly across the Atlantic and set all these records and everything, but um, I guess you know compared to some others. But she just had this ability. Like I think it was partly a cult of personality, right? And because she was so um, good at managing her image, that meant she was good at getting funds together to fund these record-setting flights uh but i had
1: read that too that she wasn't the most technically gifted mm. aviator out there and that it was it was yeah this like publicity and just moxie that got her through a lot of situations and she was able to really keep her cool in mm. a tough situation so though she Which was almost most skilled it's almost important. as important yeah. right but they also said because she was on such grueling publicity schedules um she often couldn't keep up with the technical advances that were happening in planes because mm. aviation at this time was changing so fast right. and so dramatically that it was like every time she got back in a plane things had changed and so she was kind of flying by instinct rather than using some of the more advanced technology that was available in like newer models of planes so but i had read that as well and i was. Again, surprised to discover that I thought she was like this sort of virtuoso in the air, and really she was just sort of like your
0: average pilot, but flying by the seat of her
1: pants <laughs> oh, there you go
0: <laughs> so i'm kind of going to skip ahead a little bit yep. to the fateful trip, but just kind of mention that like you know in the thirties this is when she 's super famous and like mm-hmm. You know, became a good buddy of Eleanor Roosevelt, which is pretty cool. Um, She, you know, won all sorts of trophies and things. Um, I
1: think the biggest thing was she was the first person to solo from uh, across the Pacific Ocean. Yep. From Honolulu Honolulu to 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 California.
0: California. Yeah. yeah, So she had all sorts of flights. She did a round-the-world trip. Um, And then, so I guess during this period, like all these pilots were kind of competing with each other to set records. And by this point, like a lot of the records had been set and like, or like a lot of the firsts had Mm -hmm, been done, right? right? Like the first trips had been made around the world. Um, But one thing that hadn't been done was a trip around the world following the equator, which would make it the longest trip around the world, of course. So this was what (laughs) she was attempting in the fateful flight which left uh, March 17th, 1937 from uh, Oakland, California to Honolulu was the first leg. And they did that in 15 hours and 47 minutes. Um, And then when they tried to continue from Hawaii, three days later the um there was a technical problem they had to call off the flight and there was like i think they had to send the plane back to california for repairs and then eventually Mm -hmm. so there was kind of this delay and there were some technical problems before they got going again Um, but in uh, july on july 2nd of 1937 they left hawaii and they were headed for howland island which is a really tiny little island in the Pacific um only 13,200 feet long and 2,650 feet wide which is like <laughs> right I have it in miles and it makes
1: it sound even smaller I have a mile and a half long and a half a mile wide oh gosh. <laughs> it's like that's that's barely large enough to be a landing strip yeah never mind a whole island
0: yeah so yeah, it's, it's a speck uh, really, it really was. And so like trying to find it. And I think this was I read this was the most technically difficult It was, yeah, part. It was the most
1: difficult portion of her trip. Even though they were right at the end. There were only seven thousand miles left in this twenty-nine thousand mile journey. Um and I was reading a bit about um the aids that she had along the way. The US Coast Guard had stationed a ship called the Itasca offshore by Howland to be her radio guide, so she could constantly radio it and it was basically like her beacon to where the island was. And then two other US ships were ordered to burn every light on board stationed along the route as markers so hopefully she could kind of find one and then like leapfrog to the others along the route in hopes that they can get her safely across yeah Um, and her quote was that howland is such a small spot in the pacific that every aid to locating it must be available
0: yeah she
1: was well aware of Of the difficulty Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah and it was also like they had to time it right because they had like barely enough Fuel. Yeah, fuel they had to strip to get, the plane of
1: all the yeah. unnecessary equipment so that they could load more fuel. And they managed to get her 274 more miles of fuel in the plane. But there's still some speculation or a lot of speculation so that she it, ran out of that gas. wasn't enough, right? Yeah. All right, so they took off on the 2nd at 10 a.m. from New Guinea. And it was supposed to be perfect weather, but they quickly flew into clouds and rain. And Noonan, who uh, was her navigator, preferred to use celestial navigation. So he's navigating by the stars, Mm -hmm. which is obviously complicated if you have overcast skies. Mm -hmm. So he's at a disadvantage here. Um, And by dawn however so they fly overnight and then in early morning they're in communication with the Itasca which is the boat waiting for them at Howland they're reporting cloudy weather they're asking the ship to take their bearings and they're sending constant messages uh sorry the ship is sending them constant messages but they're not sure if they're getting through so they're not sure if Earhart is getting these messages or what's happening Almost all the transmissions that the Itasca is picking up were faint or broken by static. So it's really, communication is extremely difficult at this point. Um, At 7.42 a.m., the Itasca picks up the message, quote, We must be on you, but we cannot see you. Fuel is running low. Been unable to reach you by radio. We are flying at 1,000 feet. So that was one of the last clear messages they received from her um 8 she reports were running north and south so by this point they're doing sort of a grid pattern to try mm-hmm. to find the island because they know they're in the area they just can't spot it and then nothing further was heard from her so that was the last thing the Atasca reported hearing and nothing officially nothing official nothing correct sure. yes yeah. so that was the only thing the last thing recorded that they heard um and a rescue attempt has begun immediately like within hours they had ships out planes out looking for her it was the largest air and sea search in naval history um, at that point So, um, I I think also, well, I'm sure because she's such a large name and this is such a record-breaking, you know, mission that they're, they're really putting everything out there to try to find her. Um, so the U.S. government ended up spending $14 million There were 66 aircraft involved, nine ships, and they covered 250,000 square miles of the Pacific
0: Ocean searching for her. Well, and, um as you said like her celebrity but also i think like this order kind of came from the white house because she was good friends with eleanor roosevelt and so the um, the president you know was authorizing a lot of money to be spent on this search (laughs) and rescue mission absolutely
1: and the operation was very reluctantly given up Mm. on july 19th and then uh, george putnam her husband ended up privately funding his own search based on um he consulted naval experts and at one point even consulted psychics to try oh, to know where to find her um but uh, nothing was ever found so no definitive proof of her fate
0: was ever found mm. by either by the official naval or by her husband's and search. finally in um, 1939 january 5th of 1939 she was declared legally dead in a court in la mm-hmm. um so i don't know if george putnam Kind of instigated that, and mm. finally, kind of decided to to put this to rest. Obviously, she, you know, by this point, wherever she was, she wasn't coming back. Um, uh, so that's kind of officially at the time period where it ends. And I'm, sh- you know, certainly she was greatly mourned, and this was a huge tragedy and world headlines, and you know, this giant mystery of what happened to Amelia Earhart and the explanation that. W- was kind of officially given and that everybody pretty much accepted was that right. her, their plane went down in the water and uh they likely ran out of fuel and they drowned and, and they yeah drowned. right yeah absolutely yeah and uh in 1939
1: after her official declaration of death um her husband authored the biography soaring wings as a tribute to his wife which is really it so cool. a nice title yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah so that's the story we kind of
0: it's the official, uh, the official tale, ending to right? Amelia's life, but <laughs>
1: which we don't necessarily doubt. No, but there is there has some, some interesting, very interesting uh, pieces hypotheses. Of evidence. Yeah, some hypotheses. Yeah, that come out of this. So, um, <laughs> so we mushed that sentence together. We made it happen. <laughs> yes. Um, so there are a couple of theories there are a couple of crackpot theories one is that uh she was on a secret spy mission for Roosevelt one. um to like survey the Japanese coast in the South Pacific and or Japanese islands and that she she was uh you know, taken prisoner by the Japanese and she was gonna be held as a um a negotiating uh you know sort of chip. card chip yeah <laughs> in in the upcoming war and like you know this is this is kind of far fetched stuff um also for some reason Amelia Earhart is always associated with the Bermuda Triangle and a right. lot of it's sort of like just common knowledge or uh which is inaccurate that she went down in the Bermuda yeah. triangle so she did not <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and then um you know, there's other theories, alien abductions, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but the one that I found most fascinating and the one that does have some, some really, Has some evidence for really sure. yep. cool evidence um is a survival theory. So not necessarily that she's alive today or, or lived for many decades, but um there's a group called the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery called TIGHAR is the the acronym. Um and they have something called the Earhart Project. And these are Basically a group of people based in the US and Delaware who think that um your heart and Noonan, her navigator, crash landed on an uninhabited island. So it was originally called Gardner Island, or at the time it was called Gardner Island. It's now uh Nukumaroro Island in the uh country or territory of Kiribati. So this is South Pacific. Um, It's about 400 miles southeast of Howland Island. So it's within sort of a viable range of where they might have been flying. And this group has actually gone and conducted archaeological digs, like numerous archaeological digs on this island searching for wreckage of the plane or evidence that um your heart was there and they found some really compelling stuff so they found improvised tools clothing shoe remnants um which could be from anyone any castaway
0: well and from yeah like i love i hope that it's true that this is this is from amelia and noonan um but we should point out that like the island was then inhabited for a period. Um, so all of these artifacts could be from could be from some later inhabitants yeah the
1: british were in control of the island and they ended up moving some pacific islanders onto it about 18 months after when amelia disappeared so you're right somebody might have just gone like feral and was living on a campsite (laughs) on the island but they found some pretty compelling Mm, pieces that point to Earhart. so they found a piece of plexiglass the exact size and curvature of an electra window so the window from her plane they found pieces of aluminum that were that were from planes like hers and the, the Pacific Islanders that the British moved on to the island had made a settlement and they built it with pieces of plane fuselage that they have found on the island. So someone with a plane very much like hers crashed again. It's not necessarily her, but, but, but you know, but what I found the most interesting is in May, 2012 investigators found a jar and they tested the contents of this jar and it contained an anti-freckle cream, that Earhart uh, was yeah it was reported to use because she had very visible freckles, mm-hmm. and they found flight jacket buttons and a woman's compact. So
0: oh wow! There are
1: like specifically female artifacts from that time period on this island with a with plain fuselage fuselage very similar to hers. So I was just like whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa no. and on the website they had a picture of like the jar with the freckle cream and the, and they had like
0: family liniment bottles and stuff
1: i was like oh my god it's amelia
0: <laughs> so i got all excited about now, that we should point out like yes. again yes all of this evidence has turned out and like we don't really i think have have time here to right. go into because there's just there's a ton out there yes, and, like so all much. sorts of yeah. people have done and like yeah. this is still very much up for debate yes. and they're experts on website
1: says that it's a hypothesis. They said right. we're a group investigating the hypothesis of this. Yeah. So but you know, you,
0: know you should you should read more about this because there are other people who are like, well, okay, but there's also like this concern, this concern, this concern that like this doesn't address and like, you know, there's there's a lot of evidence kind of on both sides and it is still definitely a mystery. But yes, it is extremely tempting to <laughs> it's
1: so delicious to it consider is. the possibilities <laughs> that <laughs> she may have lived for longer and there was radio transmissions that you well, know I, there was one, sort of thing I really
0: like this one though. Yeah. So there were these, these mysterious radio transmissions yeah. that for a um, couple of days after yeah, her plane went down that the this one investigator talked about yes. like he
1: kind of traced them to there was um a housewife in melbourne australia who picked it up there was a, a woman in texas who picked it up but my favorite was a young girl 15 year old This is what i was yeah in fort lauderdale florida who um was listening to the radio and all of a sudden, these transmissions started cutting into her frequency, and she grabbed a notebook and started writing down. Um, it was about two hours of transmissions. And a lot of the people said they could recognize Amelia Earhart's voice because she was such a public figure. And so she was writing this down. And, and a bunch of times she wrote New York, New York City, or something that sounds like New York. And the group, when they got to um, this Gardner's Island, uh, realized that there was a U.S., no, sorry, a British ship that had been abandoned on the island called the Norwich City which if you're saying it over a crackly radio could sound like new, new york. york city mm-hmm. um and so they were speculating that this could have been Earhart trying to give information about where she was what she was seeing for people who were looking for her and when all these radio transmission signals are triangulated they kind of point to the island and
0: uh, do you have more to add about that well girl? i have betty was her name uh yeah I, I there i guess there are two it must be the same girl betty Clink. yeah okay so i have that she was in st petersburg oh sorry yes
1: it was i said the wrong city
0: oh okay um and um some of the other kind of things that she wrote down um she heard someone say this is amelia Mm erhart help me um and then also she was straining to hear like she heard like a woman crying and calling for help and arguing with a man who seemed to be delirious um and saying things like water's knee deep and let me out and i guess like it if kind of faded in and out over a few hours and as you said she copied all of this into a notebook and then her father ended up reporting it to the uh, local coast guard and they told him everything was under control oh dear um and i love this that like betty i mean why would she get rid of it Jeez. Right. um she still she held on to this notebook until she was showing it to this investigator in like the year 2000 yes
1: and they have scans of it on some of these websites just so cool writing it down one of the messages she also wrote down was quote george get my suitcase in the closet california and apparently Earhart had put aside a suitcase of paperwork in case she was lost on any of these trips oh my god giving instructions on what to do after her death and she was basically giving it's heartbreaking to think of her in this situation like sending her last messages on this well she this was the uh, thing though
0: like she was always kind of prepared yeah i mean the danger was very very high and yeah lots of aviators during this period um died because this is still extremely right. dangerous. very early yeah um and so she would like this was something she would do was was leave letters yeah she was prepared for, to be read yeah. in the case of her death Absolutely. and she kind of had the attitude that like she was okay with it if it happened but um still horrible <laughs> when we have a quote of.
1: of her of hers from one of the letters that she left um for her husband and i think there was a similar one left for her father in mm-hmm. case of her death so if you're ready we can end with
0: that yeah, that's, well, um, yeah, do that. And then and then we'll just kind of read off a few of her oh, to yeah. end on a high from note. Yeah. Read, read from yeah. the letter and then we'll end All on right. some of her records. So the quote
1: she has starts, please know that I'm quite aware of the hazards. I want to do it because I want to do it. Women must try to do things as men have tried. When they fail, their failure
0: must be but a challenge to others. That's pretty great. There you go. Amelia Earhart, that's pretty cool. Amelia Earhart is challenging you. Yeah, (laughs) and she definitely set some high bars. Um, So she set all sorts of speed records, um and in multiple planes too, yes like multiple
1: different types of planes and-
0: yeah um so she was uh as we said she was the first woman in 1932 to fly solo and nonstop across the atlantic um also the first person to cross the atlantic twice by air she was the first woman to fly solo and nonstop across the united states she then reset her transcontinental record so she like outdid herself um she was the first person to fly so so she set a lot of records as like the first woman the first woman but she also set records as just the first person which is super awesome first person in 1935 to fly solo from honolulu to oakland california um, she set a speed record between Mexico City and Washington, D.C., also in 1935. And also, again, 1935, she was the first person to fly solo from Mexico City to Newark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So she definitely set her fair share of records. And if she had lived, yes. I'm sure she would have set more. Even more. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's uh, it's interesting to think about you know what she would have done later in life if she Mm. had if she had survived and carried on oh (laughs) which is one of the crackpot theories that always (laughs) made me laugh was that well she survived the um, that flight and like it was i don't know whether it was like it's supposed to be a deliberate ruse or whether this was like she saw an opportunity uh, but she survived that flight and then, like, secretly made her way back to the U.S. <laughs> and lived out her life as a housewife in, like, New Jersey or something. I
1: remember breathing out too, when I was like, why would you ever think that's what Amelia would have yeah, wanted? Yeah, that's what this woman right. would
0: have done, for sure. <laughs> so who knows? Not sully the- her memory by giving that any credence exactly. at all. <laughs> Such nonsense. <laughs> she just was not the type. Not at all. That. Not at <laughs> all. So, so there you go. There's Amelia yeah. Earhart. And, I mean, even though she is definitely one of the more well-known yester ladies that we right. talked about um that what i do love is that yeah we are setting out to like talk about a lot of lesser known women and events in women's history um but i do still like covering these these famous women because there's so much stuff that most people don't know right yes um yeah. there's always the kind of like yeah like i know who amelia Earhart is she you know was this famous female flyer and she died in mysterious circumstances blah 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 but like all of these details are things i never knew yeah she was an editor at cosmo yeah she was hired as faculty at
1: purdue which we didn't even get into and right she had yeah all these different roles that you just there's no so much about. really like yeah. we
0: you know we've this is kind of now one of our longer episodes and there's so much more to talk about and like yeah, yeah we, we skipped over we a did a lot of we skipped over a lot, so you yeah. really should read more about her and no. definitely like all of the stuff all of the evidence about um how they were talking about this theory about yes and we'll,
1: we'll post the link to the we absolutely R will yeah
0: website yeah
1: and i mean i think partly because she's so well known there is a lot more evidence about her because people have done more research right. That's so i like to case. think yeah. that you know if we if we promote some of these lesser known yes, yester ladies more you know maybe more about their lives will come out and, i hope so you know we can I hope so shed light on all of them
0: but there is definitely lots more to read about Amelia Earhart so as always I will recommend that you check out the additional resources that um, I'll post along with uh, this episode Um, and you know once again please get in touch with us. We love yeah. to hear from people. We love to hear from friends who we know in our <laughs> personal life, but we'd love to hear from strangers Friend-dom too. Strangers. I, we still, I have no idea whether we have any like persons <laughs> unknown to either one of us listening to this podcast, but Hey, you know, what, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> yeah, if you don't right? know either of us personally, please let us know because that would stranger, make both of our days. We hope that soon you will not be a stranger to yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's nice. Yes. If you don't personally know Heather or myself, please write in because that would totally make our day totally. <laughs> um, and you can do that nice little segue you can do that by getting in touch with us on Facebook you can find us uh, at uh, facebook.com slash yesterladies you can find us on Twitter our handle is at yesterladies you can write to us through email the old fashioned way <laughs> at yesterladies at gmail.com uh, you can also I, I always forget to mention that on our website we, we post all of our episodes as blog posts um you should totally check them out because i write these clever little intros for all of them they're adorable they're just so great thank you great vote. I always choose a great image too. I admire them every other way. Thank every you, time they're posted, Heather. I'm like, where did you come up with this? Stuff? I feel like, <laughs> I feel like you're the only person looking at the website, but I put a lot of effort into but it. So I, please check out the website. I reposted
1: a lot of that on Facebook. So I, if true. you check Facebook, you'll see some of that too. Yes. But <laughs> yeah. please
0: click through to the website yeah. because it's beautiful and, and we're very proud of it. And you can
1: listen right on the website. Yes, so you, you don't. Can. You know, if you're not into podcast apps or that kind of thing, or you don't have a smartphone, you can listen right off the website. So it's still accessible as long as you can get the
0: internet. There Actually, yes, there is one other person I know for sure who listens that way and like checks out our website and that is my mom because (laughs) she doesn't do like you know the app on on iphone (laughs) my mom wouldn't either so there you go
1: if she's listening basically our moms are using the website (laughs) and you can join them please do (laughs) (laughs)
0: yesterladies.com so uh as as we said please get in touch with us we'd love to hear more topic suggestions another little shout out to dino thanks Dino. dino at good old Letty library at the university of windsor Thank you so much for suggesting Amelia Earhart. I'm so glad you did. This has been, I think, a really yeah, great, great episode. One. So until next time, I've been Dana. And I'm Heather. And thank you for listening.